This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Tales of the Eventide and Other Dark Matter. And the author is Andrea Lee, and Andrea joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Andrea. Hi, how you doing? Well, you don't sound like a dark lady to me, but you've I, written I a that. dark story, haven't you? I, I really have. <laughs> <laughs> this, as you say, the dark crazy that resides inside all of us. That's correct. So why did you write this? Well, I'll tell you what, I, you know, just like everyone else, had my own dark crazy and hid it away because, you know, a lot of times we kind of fear, you know, what we don't understand and would never let people read my writings and things. That was my way of getting that dark crazy under control, you know, it's kind of therapeutic, but I was terrified to let people read it. Then little by little, I would let people kind of share in that and I was amazed how many times they actually could relate to it. And they understood it, and people were even kind of validated by it. And it was a huge sigh of relief for them to know that they weren't the only ones feeling those same things. So I just realized, you know, I, I think this is a good thing for people to understand about themselves. And it really just, you know, I took all these things are from high school up through now, you know, just kind of got them all together and decided that it was time, time to let that dark crazy out. So when you say dark crazy, you are, you mean fears as well as maybe imagination that kind of goes where we really wouldn't do those things, but our imagination goes there? It could be. It's a lot of things for a lot of different people. You know, it just depends on, you know, just different different ways that we were, you know, maybe a product of our, you know, that's a big thing as well. Um, different, you know, just different things we've experienced in our lives and how we've, you know, um, learned to deal with them. You know, it could be that, just for different people, it's different things, I think. All right. Well, you have broken this book into three different sections. Mm-hmm. And we have soulless, subconscious, and scarred. Right. Now, let's talk about the first section. And you also have some poetry in, in this, some dark and crazy poetry. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Boris Karloff kind of stuff, is it? Or uh... Not necessarily. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the first one is called In the Dark. Mm-hmm. Tell us about In the Dark. That's in Soulless section. Right. Um, in the Dark is actually a, it's a story about a, a young girl. She's about you know 19 years old, and she comes home to visit her family. She's away at college, and uh, her parents you know, are out of town. She's taking care of her, you know, small sister who's about three years old. And, you know, they end up through just kind of a, a course of, of different things, you know, encountering a psychotic killer who is, you know, um, a little bit supernatural in his abilities, but um, it's, it's not too far out there. It's not necessarily like, you know, vampires and things like that at this, at this stage. So, but, you know, he's, he has some supernatural abilities that help him in his, you know, in his process of uh, taking people's lives. So it's really about her encounter with him, trying to protect what she cares about the most and, you know, how that all kind of ends up. So some intense uh, fear, obviously, throughout this short story. That's correct, yes. 
and fears that a, a lot of us, you know, when you turn the lights off or you go out in the dark, you know, even as an adult sometimes, you know, we're not as comfortable, obviously, and some of us, even as adults, are scared. Yes, there are times where I turn off the bedroom light and still jump to the bed. Because there's that no, monster underneath that the bed, right? Under there. you got to do that, you know? <laughs> you got to do that. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I guess there's just a lot of stuff inside us that we don't really share with anybody. Right. Because we don't want to look foolish and we don't want to look crazy, like you say, right? Right, right. Now, in this section, you've also included some of your poetry. Mm-hmm. Can you share one of those and then comment on why you wrote it? The one that I'm going to read from this poetry is um, it's titled Undead. The sun and the heat, cool sand under feet. Water rushes in as a new day begins. I wake from my nap with the slowness of sap. From the cave I crawl, still curled up like a ball. The sun is too bright, so I must retreat until night. Only a few hours sleep, and I must not fall too deep. For the life of the undead favors me instead. That's just a, a little quick one. A little and, quick uh, one. It's one of my favorites, though, probably because it's one of the ones I wrote early on when I was in high school. And um, surprisingly enough, it was, a, it was a school assignment. And um, I used to have trouble when I was assigned to write certain things. That's not the way my, you can't tell me what to write and then have me go do it, you know. <laughs> it just has to come to me. So I was always struggling with that. And one of my teachers was very sympathetic to that. So he told me just, you know, go home tonight. You know, just think about what you're feeling. Think about what you're doing. And so I went home, and I was looking out my bedroom window, and I just kind of thought about, you know, what it would be like, you know, to be able to, you know, um, you know, just fly out over the night and just, you know, maybe be some type of a supernatural being and things like that. And these were just the things that, you know, kind of came to my mind as I thought about that. Yes, you are a troubled woman. I am. I'm all <laughs> kinds of crazy inside. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Now, let's see. The next story in the section called Subconscious mm-hmm. is The Last Night on Earth. Ooh, that has a very ringing sound to the title, The Last Night on Earth. You know, the funny thing about this story is a lot of it is true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, no. Scary. It, was, it was a crazy, crazy night that um, occurred with me and one of my friends, I don't know, about 10 years ago. And um, it was just, it was very just an eerie, uh, you know, one of those nights where it had just stormed and everything was quiet, but it kind of had that pink glow to the whole sky. And it just seemed very supernatural, just really strange. And then all of these crazy events turned out, you know, throughout the rest of the night. And, uh, you know, obviously at the end there, I kind of changed things which uh, I won't give away the ending, but people will be able to see, I think, you know, where fiction, you know, begins in all of this. But it was pretty amazing. So we got home and she's like, that, that needs to be one of your stories because you have to write about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so as you say, truth really is stranger than fiction. It is. People are surprised how far the truth of that story actually goes. And you have a poem that you're going to share from this section as well. Right, right. Um, this story is, Broken Record, or it's actually a poem, I should say, is named Broken Record. The bottom fell out and leaves me hanging, alone in the fog where so many horrors reside, creatures of every sort who wish to consume me, devour my flesh and feast on my thoughts. I fall to the floor and quietly, slowly creep away to find safety where there is none. 
You're in my heart. You flood my thoughts, but I can't find you. I feel you near, but will you help me? Will you save me? Have I used up all of my chances? I've cried my eyes dry. They sting and they swell. I did it again. I hurt you. I destroyed myself. I wouldn't blame you for abandoning me this time. I hear the scratches, the clawing, and the gnashes, all from creatures abound. The more I try to lie still, the more my body shakes. I close my eyes, fearing the next moment, then nothing. The fog is gone. The creatures disappear. Again, you took it all away. You bring me to a safe place. You clear my mind and fill my heart. I am safe and I am secure until I do it all over again. This one is actually, this is really just when you feel like, you know, as I said, the bottom fell out. When you kind of feel like, you know, you have um, maybe from the result of a decision or just something that's happened beyond your control in life, you feel like there's just no hope left. There's none at all. Um, I'm actually a person of faith. So I I remember writing this very clearly. I felt like that one day, actually. And, um, you know, just through, uh, you know, reaching out to my faith, it it kind of all got taken away for me. But, you know, you do. You tend to feel like it's um, not just feelings and emotions you're having, but you tend to put that into um, different things in your mind, which is where I relate to kind of the creatures and the gnawing and, you know, all of those things. That's that you feel just a little bit that claustrophobic with all of those thoughts. I guess this is the reason why horror pictures are still so popular. I think so. People want to go, and I don't know quite what the attraction is. It's never been attractive to me. I just, even as an adult, I go, I don't need to go and feel all that craziness. I mean, right. there's enough craziness. You know, I just don't need to put myself, in, but a lot, boy, they're popular. And they, they and are. they seem to get more and more graphic and people go to them and right. they just want to be scared. They were always my favorite growing up. <laughs> I, they really were in case Why that, that was not apparent. That but <laughs> I, I can't, sometimes, I don't know, as I get older now, I, I don't know if I can take the really gory ones anymore, <laughs> yeah. but. But they mean, were my favorite. I can remember when, as a kid going to see Frankenstein, the first one made, you right. know, and how that scared me, and King Kong, how that scared me. So, <laughs> so anyway, I'm just a scaredy cat. Let's see. The third section is called Scarred, and this one, this one is, well, I'll let you explain it. It's called The Other Side of Twilight. Right. The Other Side of Twilight is actually, this was the most challenging one for me to write because it is just a little bit outside of my, of my genre. It's not really dark fiction, um, but it really is about people in impossible situations and how they overcome that, which I do like to write about. That. Well, like, it's pretty dark. Is it? <laughs> well, when I think of World War Three, well, that gets to be true. pretty dark. See, I, I'm kind of skewed on that. I didn't think the first story was scary, and yet people are afraid to go in their basements after they read that one. So maybe, <laughs> you know, I'm a little bit skewed on it. But yeah. but it's not, there's not like an actual like horror type thing. There's not a, a monster hiding in the closet per se. But um, but it is, a you know, about a post-apocalyptic world after World War III, and, you know, it kind of follows the story of, t- of two women who are, you know, trying to adjust to their new life. They've just found out that their husbands were actually killed coming back from the war. And in the process of trying to adjust to all that, they actually get abducted and they're placed into a government facility. And, um, you know, they kind of learn as they're there, you know, why they're in that facility. They also learn about some other things that are going on. Um, of course, in secret at that same facility. So a lot of different things are happening. 
um, within that book, and they have to kind of make some alliances that um, maybe aren't the smartest decisions, but it keeps them alive. So it's kind of just their story of how all of that culminates. Even a forbidden alliance. It is a forbidden one. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we right. got to have some music here in this there you go. this discussion about your book. We 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 need some Jaws music or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where's George Lucas when you need him? We need that symphony. That's right. Now, your goal here. Oh, let's before we move on to some mm-hmm. uh, some philosophical discussion. We you have a poem that you want to oh. share from that yes. section called. The section is called Scarred. Right. And this poem is called Among the Broken. This is just a a pretty quick one, too. Um, Your hypocrisy reeks of profanity. You condescend and patronize. Your words writhe in their own ignorance. Tear me down and beat me to the ground. So quick you are to hurl insults and walk away. You hold your head high, unable to see what lies in your wake. Shame is all you know. Blame is what you sow. So often the first to cast your stone the last to see your own reflection. Your fall will be great and cause you to break. Your illusions will shatter, and then you will know. You'll see through eyes newly opened. You, too, are among the broken, the battered, and the bruised. You are among those who are just like you. You are one of those just like me. This one is actually just, um, oh, I guess it, it was after having a conversation with someone who I felt was a little bit too big for their britches, to be quite honest. I think, you know, some of us just get into a way of thinking of, you know, that we're better than you because of maybe they feel that they haven't made the mistakes you've made or made the decisions. So this was one where, you know, I really, you know, all of us, we we all make mistakes. We all make bad decisions. We all do or say things we shouldn't do. And we're really all the same in that. There's no one person I think that's better than that. There are maybe people who are better at, better at handling it, of course, than other people. But, you know, we're we're all guilty of that. So it's about just you know, bringing that back down to earth, at least in my own mind, made me feel better, I can tell you that. So, <laughs> Sounds like a letter that maybe, or a poem that maybe needs to be sent to some people in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is not a political commercial. This is just Steve here, just having fun. Um, well, you, you really want to have people reach deep within themselves. That's kind of, there's a, there's uh because this is what happened to you when you wrote this. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. I, I feel like, you know, even when I was, you know, writing it, of course, as I said, it's very therapeutic. This is a lot of times where I just didn't know how else to deal with my feelings. I've been writing since I was about 10. It was the urging of my father who told me to start writing because he could tell that I was just struggling so much sometimes to deal with my emotions. And uh, it really, it really started helping, and it turned into all of these different poems and short stories over time. So um, it was very therapeutic, and it, it really makes me happy. I love it, and I didn't realize this was going to happen. But when people read it, and then they go on my, you know, my website or whatever, and they just tell me that they they feel so much better just knowing that they're not alone in what they feel, and I'm just like amazed by that, you know, that, that my words could do that, but I'm, you know, I'm humbled by it, but then I'm also, you know, I'm just so excited to hear that coming from, you know, people who've read the book, and I, I'm glad that I could help them in that way. Boy, it sounds like you need to become a talk show host. Dr. Andrea, <laughs> call us with your dark and crazy, there and we- we'll help you feel better about yourself. <laughs> I can hear it now. <laughs>
Well, it's fascinating what you've, uh, I, I think you really are, are touching on a uh, psyche part of us that probably we do subdue, don't we? We just kind of right. keep it. We don't want to let it out. And, and letting it out is, and a lot of times, is healthy. And that's one of the reasons you've done this. And I'm sure people are going to respond in a, in a very healthy way. I certainly hope so. That's that's what I love to see. Is this the first of many? This is this is uh, my first solo compilation. I've been in a couple others, but um, I my next book is actually a novel, which will be out next year. Is it going to be a little dark and crazy? It is very dark and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely you know my old favorite, my standby dark fiction. So oh, it's it's all kinds of crazy, but it's good crazy. Well, good. Well, It'll good. Be- well, tell us about your website. Um, well, I do have a website at, um, well, it's andrealeesdarkmatter.com. Um, and Lee is spelled, or L- you better spell Andrea and Lee. Okay. Andrea is A-N-D-R-E-A, and Lee is L-E-I-G-H, and it's andrealeesdarkmatter.com. And um, really, it's just to, you know, give people an idea of, you know, um, projects I'm working on, what I'm doing. Of course, you know, right now it showcases this book a lot since this is out, I I also write um, a few articles um, for the uh, local live music scene here in Columbus, so it kind of talks a little bit about that. So uh, a lot of projects going on. As the novel gets closer and closer to being done, it'll you know kind of up- updates on that as well. We're in the process of putting photographs up from all of the different events that I've done book signings at so far, and, of course, we'll constantly be adding to that because we-, we have lots of fun, lots of fun at the book signings, so... And where can we get your book, The Tales of the Eventide and Other Dark Matter? You can get it on my website. There's a direct link that will take you right into it. Um, you know, people can also get it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com. Of course, as I as I go around the country touring, I'll be able to, you know, give them, sell them to people directly as well. And we'll see you on Oprah soon. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't, Wouldn't that be nice? Crazy? <laughs> well, it's something that she needs to have you on. Definitely, <laughs> Oprah has some dark and crazy, you know, yes, inside yes. her. So everybody, does. everybody. <laughs> well, Andrea, it's been so nice to have you on Author Talk. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was author Andrea Lee, the author of her book Tales of the Eventide and Other Dark Matter. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. They flourish on a secluded farm 3,500 feet above sea level in Hinotega, Nicaragua. These coffee beans grow in the shade of hardwood trees and banana plants, thriving in the rich organic soil. Shade-grown coffee grown at higher elevation has a better quality. There are two benefits, a slower growing cycle for the plants that allows time for the sugars in the bean to mature and the natural composting from the nitrogen-producing canopy. And now you can order this international gourmet coffee online at nicaraguasbestcoffee.com. Order 12-ounce and 16-ounce bags or save with a discounted price by ordering in large quantities. Three different coffee beans available, Arabica, Marigold Gaipe, and Green Oro. Prepare to enjoy the richness and the soothing flavor of some of the best-tasting coffee in the world. Order online at nicaraguasbestcoffee.com and enjoy Central American flavor, aroma, and richness of Nicaragua's best coffee. 
It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. Sending a heartfelt message is one of the best ways to touch someone, to touch the heart. But it's easy to forget birthdays, anniversaries, and other special occasions. Imagine how many lives you would touch if it was easy to send those heartfelt messages. Send Out Cards provides a way for you to send a personalized greeting card to a friend, loved one, or business associate in less than 60 seconds from the convenience of your computer. You can even add a gift or gift card. Send Out Cards is about helping people reach out to those around them. It's amazing what a simple message can do. Send Out Cards helps you act on your promptings to reach out and change lives. Show host Michelle Bateman has learned through personal experience what it means to be an eagle by always working to be your best self. Please join our conversation on Send Out Cards Radio with Michelle Bateman to learn what it means to be an eagle on toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Hidden Story, The Poetry of Jeff Brzee. And Jeff joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Jeff. Hey, how you doing? Well, tell us about the motivation, uh, the start of it all, that you became a poet, which you probably never thought you would ever do, right? No, no, didn't uh, ever think that. I just uh, kind of stumbled into it, you might I say. I mean, civil engineers don't become poets. Do no, they? yeah, I get that all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, what? Good question about that. So um, tell us how this all started. To be really honest. It started a while ago. In high school, I was forced to write a poem, and I was kind of a... I, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, you might say. I was an alcoholic, a drug addict. I wasn't in the mood for writing a poem. Teacher said I couldn't leave class until I did it. I wrote it. I sat down and wrote a poem in about five minutes, and when I was done, I guess it was really good. She she wouldn't believe I wrote it. She accused me of plagiarism. It <laughs> kind of got into a little fight. Oh, no. And, uh, and I just threw it down and left. I didn't care. Um girl behind me was in the school newspaper and put it in the school newspaper and and that was it you know there was a little there's a little blip i guess you say back in high school because of struggles I, i've got a history of uh, i guess depression and i'm just now admitting that uh, you know but anyway it, it, it runs in my family it it uh, kind of surrounds my life i know a lot of people i've been addicted to probably anything you can admit and i've beat almost all of them i'm still working on a few of them but i've, I've learned how to fight addictions and how to beat addictions but a couple of years ago i was really struggling you know something needs to dig you out of the hole somewhere or another and for me it was simply the music of a band called blue october it's music that uh, is almost entirely about addiction and drug uh, abuse uh, mental illnesses uh, depression and so it spoke to me but it also just grabbed my mind that these the songs told stories the stories also seem to kind of be pieces of another story a bigger story Almost like they'd scrambled up a story and hidden in their in their, their uh, music. I was just playing around, you know. To me, I was like, "Cool, this is kind of neat." I grew up a fan of Pink Floyd, and they did a rock opera, so I thought, "Well, hey, what if I try and take the songs, arrange them, and do it myself, and create something kind of neat?" Uh, and playing around, I wasn't expecting it, but 
as I did it, they just, boom, it came into my mind a, a story of how all these songs fit together and a movie that would go with it, and, and I was just blown away by it. So just, what do I do next? I emailed the band and said, hey, this is what I kind of found, and they said, hey, why don't you write that up and send it to us? And that's when it hit me. I remember telling the guy, I said, well, wait a minute here. I'm, I'm not a writer. I'm a civil engineer. I don't know if I know how to do that or not. He said, don't worry. Just you know, do the best you can. Send it to us. But um, I wanted it to be good, and so I just started writing and writing. It took me about four days. I stayed up. You know, I worked all day, and I'd, I was writing through the night, and uh, just as fast as I could record the story that I'd seen in my mind. And I just found that you know, something in me, when I was writing that story, just really, really awoke. I... I felt completely uh, different. Uh, I mean, it was not even a week later, and I, I just felt like a new person after I was done writing it. So anyway, that that grabbed my interest. That really made me, uh, I guess, see a new light at the end of my tunnel, you know, out of the darkness I was in. Um, I, mean, I, I sent the script off to him. I wasn't thinking too much about that. But as I'm sitting there thinking about it, I, my mind thinks, wow, you know, I, I almost wish I could be a writer. I wish I could do... Uh, I wish maybe I would have done something different in life. And as I'm thinking that, the poem um, by Robert Frost, you know, the old famous poem, uh, A Road Less Taken, pops into my mind. So I got on the Internet and looked it up. And, and as I'm reading it, it was very strange. Just in my mind, uh, you know, a complimentary poem just starts forming, almost like I could see it. And so just as fast as I could write it down, I wrote it down. It only took me about 15 minutes. And uh, it's this poem called The Mentor. It's the first uh, poem in the book. And once I wrote one poem, I just said, hey, let's try it again. And just time after time, some little thing would trigger in my mind, and I just start writing, and then I just let the poem be whatever it is. And you know, I kind of just write them all like that, kind of by inspiration. Anyway, so there you go. After after a year and a half, I had enough uh, poems that they thought I could put a book together, and I, I let them do it. Yeah, that poem by Robert Frost, uh, I remember the one line, and it made all the difference by taking that road less taken. Uh-huh. And I guess that's what you've done. Well, and that's how that poem ends. It talks, you know, I kind of tell my own story about having that choice to make, and uh, I didn't choose the road less taken. I guess I took the road more taken, and then, you know, reaching a point where, hey, I wonder if I can still, even though I didn't make the choose the road less taken in the first place, can I... Can I get back to that road still? And that poem get back about, to that yeah, crossroads and take the road less taken. Yeah, and that that poem ends with a line with the line. Um, I I reached the last of the other path, and it still made all the difference. Right. So it, hopefully, it's a poem that encourages people that no matter where you are, you can still find the path you want to be on. You just got to work at it. I guess that uh, phrase or that uh, statement that I've remembered for so long. You know, find out. Which way everyone's going and go the other way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's another part of my poems. I, one of my poems, the line says, uh, if you're looking for what's right in this life, uh, just figure out what the world believes and then believe the other thing, because the world's never right. You know, the group's hardly ever right. Well, tell us about Mentor. Why don't you read some of that or all of it and kind of talk about how that, you know, what you were, where you were at when you wrote the poem, your first poem, The Mentor. I was just sitting at my desk. It was night. You know, I kind of wait till all the kids go to bed. I've got a family of five, and so you got to wait till it's quiet. But but just that. Um, the, probably the only poem that almost feels like I didn't write it at all. It just was all of a sudden in my head. Yeah, I, I saw it like I wrote it, saw it on a piece of paper, and so what I saw in my mind, I just wrote down in real life, and, and there it is. Um, but again, it's the poem about uh, 
um, you know, kind of a compliment to that. I'll, if you want, I'll read it. I don't please, know do. please. Um, well, I got the book here. It says, I paused to stand and watch a man who had come to the road's divide. My wonder soared as I watched his stare slowly shift from side to side. He stood as if not noticing that many passed him by. They moved without a second glance down the road most traveled by. Then as I watched, he stepped full stride toward the path of lesser wear, and soon he vanished from my view, round a bend into the snare. I soon, like him, stood center road, faced with that daunting choice. My gaze down his road, causing fear, I quenched my inner voice. For miles I walked a crowded road, breathing dust from others' feet, till in despair I stopped and stood, my heart and soul to plead. I gazed about, still holding hope, the other path I'd see. On yonder hill I saw him there, the man who mentored me. The path between us steep and rough, unforged with dangers there. Yet still I left my path of friends, ignoring their bewares. I pressed through hardship, pain, and fear, or rocks jagged and bent. In time I crashed, limp on that path, my every resource spent. But then a warming touch I felt, a friendly voice I heard. It said, get up and tread this path. I rose without a word. And as I looked, I saw him there. He continued on his way. His only words as he walked on, you're on the path, now stay. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I chose an air. But looking back, perhaps as well, all memories now seem fair. Much time I spent on the beaten path and what I learned immense. But I reached at last the other path, and it has still made all of the difference. And that's that poem. How does that make you feel to read that? That's cool. I mean, I kind of get goosebumps while I'm reading it, and I've read it a hundred <laughs> times. So, yeah, it's good. Well, that's the, uh, I guess, the magic of rhyme and poetry. It takes you to a place. It takes you to a place of feeling in a very pointed, in a concise way. And that's really kind of what you've gone through, right? You're, this is kind of like your life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it absolutely is. Um, you know, I don't know where I'd be. I, I really don't. You, you get into those dark holes. Well, and, and you know, my dark hole is a little darker because I was struggling with all the mental problems and with all the addictions, and uh, nobody knew about it, which is the worst-case scenario. You know, I own businesses. I, a lot of people rely on me. I'm in the community, and you're kind of expected not to have those problems, and it's, it's more crushing than anything else. You just you get to where you can't breathe. And uh, I don't, you know, in other words, you have to open up, and but you're in a position you just don't feel like you can't. I don't know where I'd be. Poetry gave me the way to tell people I need help. And in the end, you know, you're all scared of people not understanding. Well, they do, and then they help you, and then I've gotten all kinds of help. I've started seeing, you know, some professionals, and uh, life's a lot better now. You know, I still struggle. I probably always will, but uh, I feel like I'm on the right path now, or before. It was just, it, it was. You know, it was like a hopeless situation that I wasn't sure how to get out of. There's a poem or two about the dark side if you want to read dark poetry. But What's the challenge of rhyme for you? I mean, how easy does that come to you, or you know, is it a struggle? No, 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 not at all. It seems to come pretty naturally. I find that when I just go boom, 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 and just write, 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 write almost as fast as I can, that, uh, that the rhymes just come. You know, just, yeah, that, that, that's probably one of the easier parts. Syllables are harder, you know, because you want it to be rhythmic, and, uh, you know, I find I, I know what I want to say, but it's got one darn too many syllables in it, so you have to back up and, 
maybe rework a line or two. I found that there anything that you can say in this life, you can say it about 20 different ways if you really think of it. And so between the, the different ways you can say it and the different rhymes and the different words and the different rhythms and the different uh, tempos, you just have to keep going and going and going until it all comes together. Now you have a poem called In the End, which you call a riddle, and summarizes, uh, I guess, kind of your life. Yeah, it's my life in a riddle. It's, uh, I guess, both life past and, uh, and perhaps uh, into the future. Can you read that one? Yeah, if you want me to. Please. Uh, the poem is called In the End, and even the title is a riddle, <laughs> but I'll leave it as a riddle. Awakened by song of long-distant voice, a beam of light cuts the abyss. Serenades calling, the lost and the falling, sneaking into life's gone far amiss. The sound of strings breathing, emotions retrieving, new rhythm transforming new sight. Each serenade seeming, a shard of glass beaming, as stars in the deepest of night. With Joshua leading, I set forth proceeding, on journey that once traveled twice, forms vision a-bursting, cools parched soul a-thirsting, yet contrary to former advice. Confusion distilling, my mind is not willing to follow the truth in my heart. But asking and seeking, my thoughts are led streaking, to rest on the message in part. Tears forming, fell thinning, in awe with mind spinning, a life long forgotten doth send. Scenes that come forming with comfort and warming, a promise made to an old friend. And then left to stand staring, confused and not daring, to act lest my mask be discerned. Then a stranger reminding, slow motion rewinding, the strength of my roots are returned. But the sacrifice haunting, the size of task daunting, would at times rather cause all to fail. Each step leads to stumbling, each word becomes bumbling, and the weight of the world doth prevail. So in silence retreating, the darkness repeating, slowly creeps in the thoughts that I'm wrong. But my heart doth remember the light of dream's ember, thus conviction to forge becomes strong. But alone I must travel and ignore the world's gavel on a fortune's advice I have leaned, knowing what I'll be finding, cold shoulder reminding what was warned when the council convened. But so many souls hang in the balance at hand, thus I must press on till the end, and I'll risk every shilling, and pray that God willing, you will find I'm forever your friend. Who's Joshua? <laughs> part of the riddle. <laughs> part of the riddle. I'll give a hint. It's from a movie. Oh. I had a little inspiration from a movie one from time. From a movie. Okay. All right. I thought I thought maybe it was a child, or maybe it was no, no, just little pieces. You know, of the Joshua that... from the Bible, or no, no, I'm not him either. Okay. Well, we'll just leave that a riddle then. Yeah. So, do you get inspired from your experiences, from your family, from your marriage, from your friends? How does it all? How does it happen? How do you get into this mood where all of a sudden it just flows? You know, there, I wrote a poem yesterday in a book that's yet to come out called Shirley. And um, I don't know. You know, I, I looked at my wife that day and I said, you know, I can just feel it. I, I, can, feel it, I can feel it when there's a poem coming out in there. <laughs> and uh, she just looked at me and goes, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> crazy you know, that husband. night it was one of those poems. It's actually one of my longest poems. It's almost two pages long. But, again, I just it's one of those ones that didn't take any effort. I wrote it in, in minutes, you know, just as fast as I could my type My goodness. Sometimes it's not that way. Other times I got to go back and back through them. But still, I, I, let me give them an example of, of how it kind of goes. This is okay. a poem called "A Child Passed By," and uh, this was back early on when I was writing some of the first poems. And I travel a lot for the business I do. And I was in the Las Vegas airport, and I'm just sitting there waiting for a plane. And I hate to say, as I watch walking by, <laughs> you know, it's Las Vegas, but just just 
kind of menagerie of people. And, uh, you know, I saw a lot of maybe, I don't know, people who looked like they were having problems. You know, just, just maybe strung out a little bit. I could just tell by looking at them. And, and I, you just got that feeling like, man, you know, the whole world seems to be struggling. It's not just me. We're all, we're all messed right. up. And, and so I'm kind of just a little bit in a dark mood. And all of a sudden, I hear this little voice, and I don't even know what the kid is saying. It's some little kid saying something enough, it made me laugh and just by hearing what he said. But I turn, and he's got his little backpack on, him and his sister, and they just go trucking on by following their parents. And it changed my mood, you know. Just suddenly, things seemed a lot better just because these little kids walked by. And there it was. You know, I just knew it. You know, I know there's a poem here. And by the time I got on the plane, and by the plane landed, I wrote a poem called uh, uh, A Child Passed By. I wrote, I've written a lot of uh, poems on planes, and I think it's just because it's, you know, it's quiet, and I can, I can just kind of get in that mood. And a lot of times, I'll just pick a word or two, and just from it, see where it goes. Just start typing and typing, and see where it goes. Now you have a website. You know, www.thehiddenstory.com. It's for the last year and a half been a site that I promoted the script to the rock opera f- uh, for the Blue October music. Uh, I'm right now in the process getting some people to uh, transform it so it's not only that, but it's also got the book of poetry tied into it, and so it'll have everything on there. I've actually had some of my the poems, I, I've transformed them into song lyrics, and I've actually had a few bands who have been interested in uh, making them into songs. There's actually two songs now that actually exist. There's five or six others in the work. But here in a little bit, there'll be at least the first two songs uh, online where people can listen to the songs. So it's kind of just all whatever's evolving out of the poetry. I'll keep building on it. And how do we find your book uh, at the different online bookstores? Um, well, of course, uh, Author House has it, um, Barnes & Noble has it, Amazon has it, uh, I'm sure quite a few of the online book places have it, they just type in uh, The Hidden Story, uh, well, and the key thing, I just type in my name, Jeff Brzee, because it's the only book I got, I'm sure it comes up real fast. That's B-R-E-S-E-E. Yeah, B-R-E, one S, and then two E's. Jeff Brzee. Well, Jeff, so great to have you on Author Talk, very interesting. Well, thank you. That was Jeff Brzee. He is the author of his book, The Hidden Story, The Poetry of Jeff Brzee. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives?, in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Prime. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. 
The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The name of the book, Hell in Heaven. And the author is Modu Gayi. And Modu joins us now on Author Talk. Hello. Hello. Good to have you on the show. Now, you've lived here for about 19 years. Your homeland is Senegal in uh, Africa. And you yeah. wanted to share your story. You wanted to tell your story of your experiences in both countries and your view of everything. And But what was the real motivation to write your book? Well, uh, when I came here in the United States, uh, people were asking me a lot of questions uh, about Africa. As to what I experienced here, I just decided to write the book, Hell in Heaven, so I can help people to understand uh, the different issues and uh, something they really want to know about Africa. And also, this book, I think, going to help African uh, people to know better about the uh, United States. Now, your title, obviously, is, a, is quite a statement in itself, Hell in Heaven. Of, tell us about the title. Well, uh, the way we see the uh, United States are from Africa. Let's say I'm in Africa and they, I don't know anything about the uh, United States. Uh, and I try to, uh, to see, to understand uh, what kind of country it is with the big buildings, the things that they show, and all of that, I see, man, this got to be heaven. And everybody wants to come. That's the same feeling all around the world. Everybody want to come to the United States because uh, they have a dream, they have a, and they said a lot of opportunities here to achieve those dreams. And, uh, and everybody want to come. And uh, I wanted to come, and I can. And, uh, but when I come... It was a little bit different. Uh, the system of adaptation, you adapt to the system to know things uh, and uh, to, to work on it was really, really, very hard. And some people, uh, they think that uh, it's just a, a living hell <laughs> sometimes, you know? Right. It's very, it's very difficult. People who struggle people, in America wouldn't think it's yeah. heaven. Yeah, but uh, it's a very terrible situation because people think that we just come here, make money, send money home, and get an American dream, but it's not the case. Yeah, everything's, everything's just going to work out really easily, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. And like anything in life, no, mer- no matter where you live, there's going to be some struggles. Some struggles. But... Uh, yeah, when you come, when you when you when you talk about the United States, you think it's less than anywhere else in the world. That's a, that's a difference, you know, uh, because there's a lot of things they show, a lot of good things they show, and you think it's just easy before you come here. 
but uh, unfortunately it's not the, the case most of the time. I mean, not, yeah. Now, now, there were things in America that surprised you. What were some of the things when you got here and you saw different things and you learned different things? What were some of the things that surprised you about America? Uh, what surprised me? I think you said in, in one of your uh, uh, questions about uh, your book, you said the first time you saw an, an African man cooking here in the United yeah. States. That just, you yeah. couldn't believe it. That, that, that's one of the things. <laughs> because, you know, in Africa, men don't cook at all. Men don't was, cook at all. Was, at all. And, um, in my country, I don't know what, what because uh, Africa is a whole lot of things. But in my country, men doesn't. When I come here and I see these people, Cooking in the kitchen, washing this. I say, oh my God, this is different. This is something, really. And uh, it was funny to me. It was really funny. And uh, that's the first thing that really caught my attention. <laughs> the, and uh, the second thing also is, uh, you know, the, the people. You know, uh, communication with the people is, uh, is really... Uh, sometimes it's difficult uh, because people they don't want to talk to you and they know they don't know you and uh, and when I get up in the airport, uh, what I was doing is like uh, people just they they go by and pass. Uh, I'm standing there and uh, I said let's try this thing. So I come to a group of people when they talk something different, I move because I. If I see some black people talking and I come when they speak English, because I don't understand a word in English. I didn't even know what to say, and uh, finally I uh, met some some compatriots from Senegal, and uh, and I talked to them and they gave me a lot of help. Uh, those are one the those are things really uh, I noticed when I get to the airport here, um, JFK Airport. What do you think of the American dream? You hear that a lot, the American dream. What I think, uh, yeah, is a is a good thing. The the way they spent to me, uh, the way American day is, uh, got a wife, uh, two children, a house, a car, and a dog. That's what, that's uh, that's uh, the American dream. That's what they said the American dream is. So um, because it is a good thing to me because in Africa we get we got big family. They don't talk about like how they talk about concession. You can see forty people, thirty people living in the same house. It's different here. It's very different. So uh, that's what I understand about the American way. Now, when you first came to America, uh, where did you first live? I live uh, like uh, eight months in Miami, and I moved to New York before I go to uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And now and you I come back. And I come back here in New York. To New York, to the big city. The big city. That's a, that's probably a lot different than where you lived in Senegal. Oh yeah, a lot different. But uh, you know, my city also has grown. You know, it, it became a very big city over there. Uh, there's like a, my native uh, town is like Kies, E-S-I-E-S. Uh, is like is situated like 60 miles from Dakar, but uh, it's almost in, in 10 more years it'll be one one 
one city, I, I can say, because people, they grow, they speak, everything becomes very deep now over there too. The last time I went, I was very surprised. But when I came here and the first time in New York, it was, it was like a, a whole big thing, a very big thing. One of your chapters in your book asked the question, is the United States still a racist nation? Tell us about your thoughts in that chapter. Yeah, uh, you know, in, in Senegal, uh, the, the racist issue is not uh, something we, we know over there. Because, you know, in Africa, there are 2,000 languages spoken, 2,000 different people, 2,000 different cultures. Okay. Uh, and uh, what the movies, sometimes they show the movies or they, uh, they talk about uh, something happening here in the uh, uh, United States. And uh, like the movie Western, Western where they show the, the cowboy in Texas getting uh, out in the street, uh, shooting out in the street and all this. That's what we understand. And... Uh, when they passed the movie Roots in Senegal, Alex Pali, I don't know if... Right. I, I know you know about that movie. Uh, it, it, there was like a, a reaction in the people. They, they had to stop the movie because the negative reaction of the people saw the, the, the white community. And they talk about the KKK, they talk about those organizations still existing in the United States. And uh, that's, that's how people think that this racism is still in the United States. I've never been a victim of racism here. Uh, people are always been nice to me, but I, I think it's the, there is some, uh, some media who are still talking about the problem here in the United States. You talk in another chapter about Africa needs to be united. Do you think that really could come about? Not now. We, be, we got a long way to go. Because, you know, when in 1960, uh, there were, you know, the, the problem in Africa is what the, the colonists did to the continent. You know, they, uh, before independence, there were uh, what they call, take uh, an example, the Mali Confederation, who was representing uh, Senegal, Mali, uh, Guinea, Ivory Coast, uh, Burkina Faso, who was uh, Daome, and the uh, Haute Volta, he became Benin. So uh, when they got the independence, uh, they, they, the Europeans broke up the system and installed what they called the Balkanization. So everybody got to go by his own. It wasn't helpful at all. And that's why Africa is still struggling now. Because, uh, you know, uh, if I can give an example, uh, United States extended, you know, is wing with uh, what they call the NAFTA system, uh, dealing with Canada and Mexico. In Europe, they talk about European Union. So I think uh, if Africa want to go uh, well in this destiny, he got to think about the unity now. Because it's been now 50, almost 50 years we got our independence. We still doesn't have a currency, African currency. And the European, when they have the Euro, European Union, the next year they got the, the money, the euro. 
So uh, those kind of domination uh, must must stop, and uh, African leaders should uh, think that uh, the unity, uh, like they say here in the United States, united we stand. Uh, they they can take care of their own business. Most of the the things we claim uh, outside the continent, we can have it there if the African Union, you know, was built with all the expectations the population have in the in, in Africa. You also ask the question in your book: What do African Americans need? What do they need? African Americans need to. Uh, Go back to the roots. They cannot express themselves if they don't know who they are. They have to do uh, uh, communicate with African and go to Africa and see uh, what. Because when I come here in the United States, okay, what struck me the most was the, like the system of education. I mean, the the, the respect. The, the, the kids have to, to the parents. There's something I heard here in the beginning. I said, my Lord, if somebody, a kid, say this thing to his parents in Africa, man, that is, it's like, a, we consider them like a curse. But they don't mind saying that here. So, uh, and a lot of things they do. If they know uh, who, they, who they are really, and uh, if they have their own culture, I mean, the, and the way to express themselves, I think uh, there's a lot of trouble they, and they get into, they can avoid it. So they have to know who they are. They have to go to Africa, communicate with people. It doesn't mean they got to take a luggage and go stay in Africa. But they got to, uh, if I can give it an example, there, is, there are Chinese people here in the United States. But they still Chinese. They dress like Chinese. They got their own things they do in a Chinese style. And they still American. But that's what I'm saying. So they need to go and uh, talk to people, be involved, and uh, we are open. We are open. I, I can give you an example. Um, in the 80s, uh, the president of Senegal was uh, was talking about an uh, idea, what they call integrated tourism. That means that when people come to Africa, if they go into a hotel, they're going to try to put it in a family, and they see how things are going on inside the family. They have a, if they want to stay in the hotel, that's okay, maybe, but the goal is to put them in family so they can see and live the reality, how parents talk to kids, how kids talk to parents. I don't, I don't say that the system is, is bad, the way they do is bad, but I want them just to be themselves and to know who they are and to have their own value because they got, uh, to my, uh, what I see, they get involved in too much trouble, too much problem because just they don't know what, they, what they're doing. That, that's my judgment. What is... So, uh, yeah. What is the uh, dominant religion of Senegal? Muslim. Muslim. We are ninety-eight percent Muslim, but we live in harmony. There is no problem. If Christmas comes, everybody celebrates. If Tabaski or Kodite come, everybody celebrates. So we we really fine over there. 
So how do you view that uh, religious, uh, I guess, you know, there's certainly friction uh, between uh, Christianity and, and Islam today. There's a lot of different views, even though I think for the most part, the people really just want to love each other and help each other, no matter what religious faith. But of course, governments pose a problem with that. You know, I'm a Muslim, and I'm going to tell you one thing. That faith of the Quran, lakum dinikum waliyadid. That's me. Let people believe what they want to believe. I am the judge. I'm not, it's not because I'm a Muslim, I said Christian is not good. It's not because somebody else is Christian, he says Muslim is not good. Because what you think that is like you going to downtown in the city on downtown. Somebody take the freeway, somebody take another way, but the goal is to reach downtown. So all religions, if we practice, practice uh, honestly and, and, and right, we all be blessed. There's no bad religion. But if I, it took, in my uh, own opinion, some Christians are wrong, like some Muslims are wrong, because they, they just tell the, the what they think going to please people, you know, to, to get. But if they, do, if they say things right, like God said, there won't be no problem at all. If something happens, either, either side, to me, is not right. That's why we are in, into all these problems now. Tell us how to get your book. How to get my book? Correct. Uh, yeah, you can go to uh, photohouse.com or sunwoody.com or uh, amazon.com. The, the, the easiest way is just to, uh, I think, contact uh, for the house. Well, we want to thank you for being on Author Talk. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me. I think uh, I would feel uh, if uh, uh, we, we have to set up another uh, another talk after some people read my book and want to ask me some questions. I'd be really willing to, to do so. Well, we thank you again for being on Author Talk. All right. Thanks a lot. That was Modu Gayi. He is the author of his book, Hell in Heaven. <laughs>